Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. I needed that one. I was ready to start bawling over here. That's just something. <laughs> you know, today is also Juneteenth, and it's a celebration of slavery's final day in America. So God bless that day. On this day, on this day in 1865, two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, 2,000 federal troops landed in Galveston Harbor to free the remaining 200 slaves. Great. Um, and a human being would no longer be owned by another human being in our country. What a wonderful thing. I praise the Lord for that. And may the church lead the way in healing all the lingering wounds. Amen. Um, one way to worship is through our giving. And uh, you can give either online at our secure website, or you can do it through our secure boxes uh, outside in the uh, uh, atrium. And we really appreciate your generosity. Uh, we're going to do a little time of prayer right now, but I, I want to invite you to pray with me out loud. <laughs> so during parts of this prayer, I'm going to say we cry out loud like holy. And what I would like you to do is to say, holy, like you're crying out loud. I mean, you know, we can't see heaven from here, so I don't know how far away it is. You may have to yell really loud, okay? So let's pray. Father, you are our rock, our strong tower, our refuge in a time of trouble. You are our hiding place and the secure cleft in the rock when we need protection. Jesus, you are our good shepherd our living water, the bread that came down from heaven, the gate through which we enter eternal life, freedom, and love. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the light of the world by which we see light, the vine which sustains us. You are our great high priest, God's lamb, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Spirit, you are our teacher, our comforter, our encourager, our gift giver, our unifier, and the one who transforms our lives through Jesus. God, we humble ourselves before your mighty throne, and we cry out loud, holy. We cry out loud, worthy. We cry out loud, exalted. We cry out loud, glory. Father, we cry out loud, thank you for revealing to us what a father is and what they do. Thank you for those who serve you and their children as fathers today. Father, we cry out to you, thank you, thank you. for the privilege of ministering your love and truth to the children who attend VBS this past week. 
Please cause them to grow in their understanding of Jesus. Please protect them from the weeds of the world that can choke out your fruit in their lives. Father, we also cry out, help. The church needs new Holy Spirit life and power breathed into her. We need your forgiveness for forgetting our first love. Father, we cry out, help. Help our nation that desperately needs to be led on paths of righteousness by godly leaders who fear you and seek the wisdom from above instead of the wisdom of this earth. Father, now we cry out, worship. Jesus, lead your brothers and sisters in worship through your servants, Michael, Aaron, Vanessa, and the worship of obedience through the teaching of your servant, Adam. And now we cry out, Amen. Well, good morning. So nice to see all of you today. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been up here, and I'm frankly, I'm like chomping at the bit to get up and actually talk. No one's been listening to me for like two weeks. This is my outlet. <laughs> Just kidding. You know, growing up, my father was a plumber. He was a plumber for the railroad, and oftentimes I would go with him on side jobs. After work, I would learn what to do. The problem was is that even though he was a plumber, I was a know-it-all. Every single time that he would show me how to do something in a very specific way, I would say, I have an idea. I have a better way. And I would seek to do it in a way that seemed to make sense to me. And, you know, frankly, God forbid if I was right one time. Because I would use that to fuel every interaction and every time he would suggest a different way of doing something. I remember sometimes I was, wasn't strong enough and I couldn't turn a pipe or a fitting or whatever and his big hand would come over and put it over mine and say, do it like this. And he would give me the extra strength that I needed to tighten the fitting or to take something off. You know, our Heavenly Father has given us instructions as well like that. You know, life can be hard. Life doesn't always seem intuitive, right? The, the cause and effect that is baked into this world is not inherently obvious to many of us, certainly in our younger years, when we think we understand how the world works. i got to be honest, I'm 43 years old, and I think I understand how the world works, and I'm surprised every day. Something that I thought would have elicited this response, actually something else happened. And so we need God in our life. We need our Father to tell us exactly how to live and what ways we should accomplish uh, rooting out the sin in our lives, interacting with people in relationships, how we should be loving Him and others. He tells us through his word. You know, we talk about Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. You know, it's trite, it's kind of funny, but it is true. It tells us exactly how we should live in a way that honors God, worships him, and glorifies him through our life. It's not through self-help books. It's interesting, I went into the bookstore the other day, a couple weeks ago, and I went into the uh, Christian, I'll quote it, Christian aisle, and it was... Nothing I'd ever heard of, which is a little bit disconcerting. Then I went into the self-help aisle, and it was really nothing I had ever heard of before. It's not through self-help books. Our way through life is not through social media influencers' best guesses on how to get things done. Life hacks, they call them all the time. It's not through our own best thinking. And frankly, our own best thinking got us to the place that we were where we needed Jesus. It's like our own best thinking got us to a place where we were sinners and we needed a Savior. Our own best thinking does not work. 
The nation right now is living on its own best thinking. In the book of Judges, what we're reading today, that's how they got to where they were, their own best thinking. In the end, we look elsewhere because we do not trust God and we do not trust that what he says to do will work for our own lives. So today we're going to learn that when attacking sin and spiritual enemies in our lives, we need to trust the power of God's word and follow it. Here's the key word. Say it with me exactly. Exactly. It's not some of God's word here and then the rest of the world here. It's not God's word plus social influencer, social media influencers, best ideas. It is God's word exactly. If we seek the easier, seemingly more logical way of attacking the sin in our lives and the spiritual enemies that we have, we might find a little bit of what seems like victory in our life. But we will fail to root out the root cause of what is actually happening. And that's a big deal. Many of us are stuck in sins that recur again and again because we are not driving to the heart of the problem. We are simply changing our behavior for a time, but for many of us, we know that it's short-lived and we begin doing whatever it was again, being frustrated, yelling at people, growing angry or jealous or other sins that continue to plague us, habitual ones that we deal with day in and day out. But only God's way can persevere us through this. Only God's way can root it out once and for all. So turn with me to Judges 7, 16 through 22. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Gideon is finally, after almost two complete chapters, ready to attack the Midianites. He had a, first we heard about the situation in the nation of Israel. Then we had an appearance from God himself speaking to Gideon, calling him a mighty man of valor. Then he knocks down the idols in his own family. He finally calls other Israelites to come to battle. God has revealed a dream to him that through the mouth of his enemies themselves, that he would have victory. And so now here we are at the moment that Gideon is returning from hearing the interpretation of the dream that Israel would win. Here is the moment of truth. It says, he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites into our hand. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Gideon said, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow your when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Listen to Gideon's confidence coming back into the camp of the Israelites. He's just been reassured by the dream. He heard a dream interpreted through the mouth of a Midianite right there on the front line of the enemy camp, and he knows that he is going to win. He did not come back and say, we are strong, we're going to get this. He did not say, even though it's 420 to 1 odds, we are enough. He said, no, because what God has declared will happen, will happen. And he came in confidence and faith. The Lord would give the Midianites over. We often look at the battle against sin as merely a human endeavor. We say, we got this, like in our video today. We got this. Let me warn you. In the battle of sin in your life, we do not got this. If anything has been proven time again and again throughout the history of mankind is that we do not got this. 
We need Jesus Christ who has paid and judged sin once and for all. And we need need God's way of applying that truth to our lives through his word. Imagine being one of the 300 mighty men. They've been weeded out. They now have the small cohort of warriors. These are men who, remember what we learned about? They were prepared. They were watching. These are people who were ready to fight. These are people who were always on the guard, ready to go, 300 of them. Their leader, their chief, their general comes back and says, tonight's the night, we're going to battle, and this is how we're going to do it. And everyone's ready. Okay, let's huddle. What are we going to do? All right, first, we're going to take trumpets. It's like, okay, all right, then what? Then we're going to take torches in our other hand. Okay, all right, all right, and then what? And then we're going to blow the trumpets and shout, all right, and then, and that's it. And that's it. How is that possibly going to happen? Imagine, no swords. If we go later on, we'll see that in their one hand, their right hand was, a, uh, was their shofar, the trumpet. In the left hand was their light. No word, not one, not a mention of weapons. Their only tools for the battle were the trumpet and the torch. So let's talk about this, a trumpet, because it's not like a Miles Davis thing going on. It's not a, this is what a trumpet in Israel looked like. This is called a shofar. This is actually a kudu horn that's been hollowed out, and this has been used for thousands of years in the nation of Israel to Call the nation to repentance. During the celebration of the Feast of Trumpets, it's blown a hundred times. And it has four distinct, I'm going to try to play them for you. I'm not a shofar player, okay? Four distinct tunes, notes that have been played for various reasons. I did a lot of research on what do these notes mean? Everyone has a different answer. Everyone has a different interpretation, but there are basically four. The first one is called a tikva. A tikva, and that might be the one that you hear most commonly. It sounds like this. Again, I'm not a shofar player, so I apologize. All right. That, don't clap yet. I started from easiest to most complicated, so don't clap yet. But thank you. Okay. Tikva. This is a single blast that we heard. This is a call to attention. This is a wake up. This is a something's going on, okay, a tikva. The next one is called a shavarim. A shavarim is basically three short blasts, what we just heard in a row. And this is a call, most people would say, to worship or repentance. Okay. It's okay. (laughs) We're not there yet. If I pass out, you know who to call. <laughs> the third one is called a teruah. A teruah is a call to battle. This is supposed to be nine or ten short staccato blasts. Sounds something like this. Oh, praise God. All right. And the final one is called the tikva gadola, which is a means just basically a tikva big, a big tikva, a long blast. 
The interesting thing about this is that many interpreters, rabbis, have seen these blasts of the shofar as being an expression of the human heart, broken and stuck in sin. That God calls you, wake up, repent, sob for your sin. That's what that last one we heard, this crying. And then the final blast is the first blast we heard, the call to attention, that's long. It's in fact, it says in the Talmud that it should be blown as long as the player can blow it. And this is the idea, the call of peace. This is the idea of a blast that lasts longer than the first one. That when we've gotten our lives together, we've called out to the Lord, we've repented, we've found, found Jesus again in our life, the Messiah, that finally we will have a long period of peace at the end. It sounds something like this. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to sound like that at the end. I surprised myself. Thank you, Lord. Um, yeah. So we're going to start shofar classes. Now, it's impressive in here. But in the end, it's just a blowing horn. It's nothing. There's nothing inside except the breath. Do you know the word breath in the Old Testament? Ruach is the same word for spirit. And many interpreters have seen the shofar as a manifestation or an example, a metaphor of what it means to be inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God himself. So the first lesson we can learn from this is that even when the weapons of our attack seem inadequate, a shofar and a torch, the Father knows best. The Father knows best. When we're reading God's word and He's applied it to our hearts and it seems to say we should be doing whatever he says. This, in this situation. And we said, that can't possibly work. It's not going to be enough. It's inadequate. We trust God anyway. God's word gives us instructions for finding victory over the sin in our lives. We need to follow the directions. Think about this, prayer. How come prayer is always the last resort? How can we plan our lives? We say, this is what we're going to do. And then at the end, we ask God to simply bless our plans. Uh, when I was at Moody, uh, we had a professor, I talk about him frequently, but um, Dr. Thrasher, who would have three-hour segments with us to teach, and we'd pray for an hour and a half of it. And the other hour and a half, we would talk. I learned more in those classes than in any class I've ever been in. Any class. I think about our elder meetings when we meet. How much time are we devoting to prayer, really? Shouldn't be prayer, prayer be our first resort? Shouldn't our entire meeting be God's word and prayer? And then the sort of little things that get picked up at the end. What about your life? When you're struggling, is the first thing you go to God's word and praying to him, having a conversation, not only seeking to pour out your heart to him and your needs, but listening for what he has to say in response? What are our attitudes towards God's promises? Do we live in light of the fact that we are already, we're more than conquerors. We've already won the battle. That God is with us. That though our body is wasting away, we're growing stronger and stronger in the spirit every day until one day we will be glorified and stand before the throne perfect like Jesus. Do we believe that? Do we live that today? Do our prayers sound like that? Confession. There's power in speaking truth about what's happening in our heart. I fear that many of us, and this is not just our church, obviously, this is sort of a, a 
humanity thing, but we fail to find the power to live different lives, to live differently, live according to God's word because we do not confess what's actually happening in our hearts, in our homes, in our minds. We keep it inside. That poison continues to wreak havoc. Yet in the book of James, it says that when we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed. That God in his word has promised that when we declare truth about what's happening, the ugly truth, we find growth, we find redemption, we find salvation, we find healing. We find healing. People would say, well, why am I just going to go tell everyone my dirt? (laughs) Because God has commanded you. And there's a promise that there's life there. Serving others. Part of the strategy that we use, one of our weapons, is to serve others. Get out of ourselves, take the focus off of our own struggles, our own life, and to seek to be a blessing to others. Did you know that in Genesis 12, where God declares to Abraham that I've given you all of this land, and we hear it all the time, the phrase, bless those who bless you. You know that? The words there in Hebrew are actually in an imperative. That means God is commanding Abraham to be a blessing. Be a blessing. Many of us fail to do that in the lives of this world and the people around us because we're so focused on the fight that's going on inside of us. The fight that's going on that we never talk about. And the fight that we certainly never pray about. Another weapon, God's grace. God's grace. Listen to this. How do I overcome sin in my life? Simply receive the gift of forgiveness that God has given me. That's it? That's how I do That's it. Trust God for His grace that He's given you the power that He has given you by His goodness and benevolence towards you the ability to overcome what is happening in your life no matter how hard it looks. We do our best keeping our eyes on Christ and trusting Him for His grace and let God take care of the consequences. Because in reality, this is amazing truth. In reality, the battle over sin in our lives has already been won. The sin in our heart has already been defeated and judged on the cross. Today, we live a certain way because we do not believe that to be true. We live a certain way because we do not utilize the tools that God has given us. God's word cannot possibly be powerful enough to change who I am and what motivates me. So we tell ourselves. Sometimes simply receiving the forgiveness that God has extended to us is the answer to to the problem we're struggling with. And often it's the simplest answers. We tend to overthink things, don't we? I don't know about you, but I've struggled with some sins in my life, right? Now all of you have heard it, well most of you, some of you are visitors. I've been addicted to any number of things. I mean, you can name them. It's like, yes. What's your drug of choice? More, please. I mean, it was like, what do you got? I committed crimes in order to uphold that habit. I lived a life of complete self-centeredness, doing exactly what it was I wanted to do because I thought it was best for me. And when I came out of all of that, I became a believer. A lot of it was taken away. I still struggled. I still struggled in some ways. The dangerous thing is that there were times when I would say, this must be as good as it gets. How many of you don't raise your hand? (laughs) How many of you are struggling right now with something and you're telling yourself, I fought again and again and again. I keep failing. This is as good as it gets. Or this dangerous one. Maybe this is just my cross to bear. 
That is not the Lord's will for you. God has given you instruction on how to trust Him to be changed, to be transformed into the image of Christ. I'm not saying it happens overnight. I'm not saying it's necessarily easy. It's often hard. But it's simple. Trust Him and His way. Follow it exactly. It's not that bad. How about that one? Maybe the Israelites say, well, the Midianites aren't that bad. You know, they got good food. Yeah, they take everything that we have, but we doubt God. God's not powerful enough. He's not loving enough. We doubt ourselves. I've failed so many times before. And so we look to the wrong sources of power, the human will. I just got to try harder. Just got to try harder. Human wisdom worldly resources. We're going to learn more about that in a couple of weeks. But seek to trust the Father's way. He knows the reality of your heart, your struggle, your sin. And frankly, listen to this. He even knows some of you, some of your desire to stay broken. I think we all carry a bit of that. There are sins that we just inherently wish we could keep and not have consequences. And God knows that our heart is truly poised towards that at times. We're sinners after all. It's our nature. Yet when we confess these things, trust God's word, when we look to him, we'll find victory. So let's see what happens. Verse 19, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So Midianites are at a vulnerable time. Shift changes are often very dangerous in the military anywhere for attacks. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand, torch, holding in their right hand the trumpet, they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Where is the sword? There is no sword. There is no sword. Gideon and the hundred men. If you read that, Many of you, or some of you might have some idea, this is a classic military strategy blunder. Okay, 420 to 1 odds. And now the 300 men that they had, he further divided into three separate companies, making them even weaker. So it's even less than the sum of the whole, 300, even less. Not only that, he surrounds the Midianite camp. He gives them no way of escape. He's going to force the fight. So he, if it were me and I only had 300 men, I'd say, let's line up on the side of Israel and hope that they run towards out of the town. No, they surround him. He does not give them a means to escape. So instead of the sword, they invoke the power of Yahweh through the blowing of the trumpet. That's our second lesson. Even when the strategy of our attack seems counterintuitive, the Father knows best. God gives us strategies for addressing the sin in our lives that are counterintuitive, like we talked about, prayer, confession, service, and God's grace. The way we wield those in our lives matter because if you're any, I mean, you know that you can pray without faith. We, we say just what we're supposed, I'll give you a good example. How many, I'm guilty of it. You know, we sit at the dinner table. I basically say the same prayer every evening. I'll change it up a little bit here and there. But is my heart, is my spirit poised towards the Father when I'm saying that prayer, when I'm praying with some of you, where is my heart actually? Where is your heart when you're praying for me? It's easy for us to say the right words, but are we praying with eyes of faith, seeing it already done in our mind as we're declaring it to be true, as we're requesting, as we're pleading with God? 
We have faith in the way we confess, in the way we serve, knowing that what we do will have results as long as we trust God. These elements are part of a strategy for using the weapons that Christ has given to us through his word. We can trust him because his ways are bigger and better than our ways. He has all the information. God knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to happen in the battle. He knew how many men there were. He knew every Midianite by name. He knew every Israelite, every 300 by name. He knew every square inch of the battlefield. He knew it would happen. He saw the reality of the situation as it really was. And God sees the reality of our situation as it really is. When we're seeing what's happening in our lives, when we're struggling with sin, when we're in a situation we're not exactly sure how to get out of, but we're not trusting God's word because we say that couldn't possibly work, it's because we're failing to account for all of the unknowns that God sees. God sees our reality better than we see our reality. We fail to account for his power and his presence. And he knows the best way. God loves to use counterintuitive strategies. He loves to use the weak to shame the strong. He loves to have that surprise twist ending at the end. Because it demonstrates, and he declares again, that he is God, that God alone, the only God, is capable of acting and having victory in this situation. In the end, when we look at our strategies that seem counterintuitive, our weapons that seem weak, it forces us to submit to him, to trust him. When we submit to God in our lives, when we surrender, we say, okay, your way. Your, thy will, not mine. I mean, wasn't that, that's Jesus' words in the garden. Not my will, but thine. What if our entire life, each one of us, every moment when we're given a decision to act out of our self-will and attack a problem in our own strength, or to act according to God's will, trusting Him for His weapons and His strategies for addressing the issues in our lives, what if every time we said, Thy will, not mine? How would our lives be transformed? Every time I've off, every time I've said, Lord, your way, not my way, in the end, it's always worked out better than the way that I would have done it. Might not seem obvious. And for some of those situations, I trust that I'm going to stand before the throne one day and God's going to say, This is why this was better. And I'm going to give him glory and praise for the decision that he made on my behalf. I mean, think about it. Even the cross is counterintuitive. I mean, the Messiah was promised all the way back in Genesis 3 that one day there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent. That's called the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelium. Genesis 3, all the way at the beginning. Throughout all of the history of Israel, as you walk through the Old Testament, you see again and again Satan seeking to blot out the Messiah. When you think about all these wars and destroying entire people groups, things that often make me feel very uncomfortable when I read them, what gives me a little sense of, not 100%, it's hard reading. What gives me a sense of perspective is that through the nation of Israel and through those battles, Satan was seeking to destroy the promised Messiah. And that God preserved that line all the way until Christ was born. Had that battle not happened, had Israel just come into the land and assimilated into the people, the Messiah would never have come. The stakes were huge. Of course, Satan doesn't know that. 
He thinks on the cross at Calvary, he's finally won. Here's the promised Messiah hanging on a cross. Can you imagine the joy? I don't know if there's joy. Glee might be a little more sinister. The glee. The forces of darkness had watching God's promised Messiah hanging on that cross. And then the feelings of victory when he died. Only in that very moment for them to be thwarted. Because it was the death of the Messiah that won the victory in the end. That it was through the death of Christ that we are saved. And it's through the death of Christ that we are healed. Totally counterintuitive. If we were going to write a story, it would not look like that, would it? No. Humans would be powerful, wielding weapons. We'd come in, great strategy, awesome whatever, great speaker, a leader. No. Jesus comes in, humbly suffers and dies, and that's how he wins. Counterintuitive. Maybe you're in a situation that seems solvable by human will, or by more effort, or greater wisdom, but you just can't find a way out. God wants you to do it his way. Are you going to do it? You have a choice. You can go your way or you can go his. When I was, like I said, my dad was a plumber. I was in the military. When I got out of the military, I became a plumber. Okay, Following my father's footsteps. Not all of them. I did some of my own detours, trust me. Um, but God spoke to me. You should be doing ministry. I saved you for a reason. I didn't just save you to save you. There's a reason. And I'd say, I know, but I'm afraid. I'm not going to make any money. I'm making enough money to survive doing this. I'm not going to make, I mean, you never hear rich, you should never hear of rich pastors. How can I do this? And he said, no, I want, and I kept being disobedient. I kept going my own way. I kept saying, well, maybe I won't do ministry. Maybe I'll do, I'll go to more school, but I'll do different, you know, I was going to do human services. That was a train wreck anyway. Social work kind of stuff. And then the Lord spoke to me again through like my fifth, cervical vertebrae and said, no, I want you to be a pastor. And I said, no. Then he spoke to me through my knees and he said, no, I want you to be a pastor. And so I finally said, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Remember we had that conversation that day. I said, I'll do it. But I'm not going to tell my boss that I'm going to quit. I'm just going to go in one day and say, I'm done. Because I had seen a bunch of previous people quit and give two weeks notice and the boss would fire him right away. The fear was, is once they gave the two-week notice, they were just going to steal all his tools. So the moment they found out that, there was good, that they were going to quit at all, he fired them. So I thought, I can't go without that two weeks. I was seeing completely through the eyes of the world. God couldn't possibly see me through. And so for those, I was going to say, I'm just going to quit on this day. And I happened to tell my, the person who was my mentor at the time, you all know him. And... Um, I said, this is what I plan to do. He said, I don't think you should do that. That's, God wouldn't want you to do that. God would want you to be always living on the up and up, taking the high road. You should tell your boss. I said, if I tell my boss, I'm definitely going to lose out on two weeks of pay. I need that money. I cannot survive. He said, God wants you to do it. He goes, I'll, I'll, I'll prove it to you. I believe this. He says, how much do you get paid for those two weeks? I told him. I said, you wait, go tell your boss, give two weeks notice. If he fires you, I'll pay your two-week salary for the next two, you know, next time. So now I have nothing to lose. I'm like, okay. So I go to my boss. I say, hey, I, I'm putting in my two weeks notice. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going into the ministry. He said, oh, really? He goes, okay. 
how about you work for these two weeks, but then I also pay you for a couple of weeks after that. And then also, if you need work from time to time, just come back and I'll pay you this money, cat, which was more than my hourly then. On top of that, now these guys were not believers. They were definitely not believers. Those of you who have been tradesmen, you know what I'm talking about, okay? I got invited to the next two Christmas party, company parties. I got gifts from them. It was like totally different than what I would have expected based on what I had seen because I was seeing through the eyes of the flesh. Yet my mentor taught me a lesson that day about who God is and what God is capable of. And that I should not fear that. So I ran into ministry skipping. You know, I was very excited to be going in because God had demonstrated what he was capable of doing as long as I trusted his way and did it exactly. In this case, seeking to do what was right before all men wherever possible. All right, so let's look. Verse 21. While each man held his position around the camp. They didn't waver. I love this idea. that They stood there in the fight. Held his position around the camp. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled towards Beth Shittah, towards Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel Melalah near Tabat. We're going to see a map next week because it's actually pretty cool following the, the battle as it goes. But it worked. It worked that simple way. God's weapons, God's strategy makes no sense. They did it exactly, and it worked. They did not waver. They had faith and confidence in what God would said would happen, would happen. The sound of the trumpet, you heard it. The shofar terrorized the enemy. When we do things God's way, <laughs> oh man. See, it surprised even me. That's 300 trumpets blowing. I know because I blew those 300 trumpets. I actually only did like 18, then I doubled it, then I doubled it again, then I doubled it again. But being, imagine being in the desert that night, hearing a gossip. Uh-oh, someone had a dream. Dreams were important. Someone had a dream. And a barley loaf came down and destroyed the whole camp. And everyone knows that that's Gideon and his 10,000, 15,000 men. They don't know there's only 300. They hear the blast of the trumpet and they immediately know that now is the time they're attacking. They see the lights open up, the torches get shattered, this cry and the scream, they have no idea what's happening. And God miraculously turns them upon themselves. And in the din, the victory is the, is the Israelites. But it was the Lord who did it. It was the Lord's battle. Often those leveled against God and his people turn on themselves and what is intended to do falls upon them instead. We see this in spiritual warfare. Satan sought to destroy the Messiah. In response, he got destroyed. He was destroyed. The army fled. The reward for trusting God's ways and weapons is a victory beyond what you could hope for. Third point, go quickly here towards the end. Trusting that the Lord knows best results in success disproportionate to our effort. Often the the way God asks us to do it is simple. 
but it works. It works. They did almost nothing but simply trust the Lord's strategy and weapons. They didn't charge. You did, no sense that they charged. They didn't add anything to the strategy, although there could be something here where Gideon says, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And for Gideon. And I think we see a little bit of a turn in Gideon's life. We're going to examine that a little in the, next, in the coming weeks about where Gideon takes his eyes off the Lord and who he is in the Lord's eyes and begins to see himself through his He's starting to feel himself a little bit, I think. And what happens is, is his pride begins to have an effect in his life. They didn't take anything away from the strategy. They did it exactly as God asked them. When we trust God in his way, we can expect more than we ever could have accomplished doing it on our own in the way that we thought was possible because God is in it and our God is strong. Like I said, though, beware. It can seem wrong if we're not careful. We can say, look, I'm doing all this. It's not working. In that case, we just trust God, hope for the best and know that in the end, we're going to see the truth. We trust God. We don't know the effect that we have. Someone told me a story last week that they were helping at a local camp. They started out at the camp with like 30 or 40 kids. On the last day, one kid showed. One kid. And what he said was so amazing to me. He said, I didn't get discouraged. I just knew that I needed to minister to that one kid as if he were the only kid that mattered, that he was there on God's appointment. And he did ministry. And not only was it so amazing, it was, conv- it was convicting for me. You know, we, we do our live stream. Oh, we only had five people. It was a failure. When we look at our lives, when we judge our lives off our human standards and the way we think things should work, we'll find that we often will say things are not going the way they should when God knows. God knows. And we trust him for his results and not our own. One day in heaven, we will know. Not only this, last thing, trusting God for the results, like we, like imagine just living life and just doing it exactly God's way. Just not even giving second thought about the way we want. Lord, however you want it, I'm doing it exactly the way you want it. Totally frees us up from that sin of seeking to control and manipulate our lives, the people around us, the circumstances. Imagine living in a life of just serenity. We see God's word sometimes. I know I do. And I see it all as what it means is going to have to come out of my life. right? I see it always in terms of what do I got to take out. When reality, it's more than that. We need to look at God's word as what it is giving to us, what we are receiving in exchange. When we focus on those things and we see that God promises to give us victory, He promises to be with us in a sense of his presence. He promises that we will find serenity in our life amid the suffering that will surely come. Amid the chaos that he has said will always be part of this sin-sick world. We can find a sense of peace and stability. But we have to find it God's way. And God's way exactly. So one, even when the weapons of our attack seem inadequate, the Father knows best. Even when the strategy of our attack seems counterintuitive, God knows best. Finally, trusting that the Father knows best results in success disproportionate to our effort. So, Dad was a plumber. I was a plumber. Dad's retired. I'm a pastor. 
We're doing a project at home. Many of you know this because I've been talking to you about it. Every time you ask, this project comes up. So we got two plumbers doing a carpentry project, okay? One that neither of us have done before. And I can tell you there are times when we are like, Lord, make this the right cut. And we are praying our way through that deck. It's not me saying, I know best. It's not me looking to some other book. It's not me, as we're laughing, it's like this is like the first time my father and I have done a project and we've not like wanted to kill each other. We're like two weeks into this thing too. This is a long one. It's probably because the Lord's humbled me a few times. <laughs> He's the same. Trusting that the Lord can answer our prayer, trusting that doing it his way is the right way, is turning out to be results that we had never expected it would be. You know, when I look at the, what we've accomplished so far, I do not say, you know, we goof around, like, not bad for two plumbers, right? It's really not bad two, prom, two plumbers on a prayer, because that's what it was. Two plumbers on a prayer. And so much better than we thought because we're trusting God throughout the process. So let's pray about this. Father, Father, today you've blessed us with a day that reminds us of our earthly fathers. But Lord, some of us have not had good fathers. Some of us have not had fathers who were even present. Some of us have not had fathers who were good or sought our best. Or some of us, you've blessed with fathers who've done everything they can, Lord, to model truth and sacrifice for us. Father, we pray that today would not only be the day that we remember our earthly fathers, but ultimately, Lord, it would be the day that we remember you, our perfect heavenly Father. Lord, we want to do things our own way. We have our own best ideas. We try to do things that seem best to us. Yet, Lord, we confess to you right now that we know that you know best. We pray, Lord, that you would make that reality for us every day. In all of our situations with work or with medical stuff or our kids or our families or when we watch the news, the world, what is happening. Lord, give us the grace to fix our eyes on you and your way. Give us the motivation to pick up your weapons and not our own. Give us the heart to trust you and your strategy and not what seems best for us because we've gotten to this place through that. We thank you, Lord, that you love us, that we can call you Daddy, that you're our Abba, and that you have a tender heart, patient and loving towards us even when we fail. Continue to show us where we need work. Continue to give us the grace to address it and continue to move us to trust you to do it exactly the way you called us to do. It's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brief ad hoc announcement. Today is Father's Day, and Adam Fox is a father. Baby's not here yet, but Adam Fox is a father. Let me, let me say something real quick. When a woman is pregnant, the parents are parents, okay, because that baby is a person. That baby is alive. That is so happy Father's Day, Adam. Um, 
or having a shower for him and for the baby and for Andrea, obviously. He doesn't want to be the only dude there. So if you're a dude and you want to come, please come. If you're a woman, please register online so we can have as many people come as possible and support our amazing youth pastor, his wife, and that new baby. So let's do that. Yes? Okay. Father, I pray that you would go with my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that you would give them strength, give them trust, give them poise, help them, Lord, to live a life of serenity because it's focused on you. I pray, Lord, that you would do this for your glory as people see their lives. I pray, Lord, that you would do this for their good as they enjoy your presence and your power. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. God bless you. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.